Would you pray with me? Almighty God, we come before you this hour asking that our hearts and minds be open to your wisdom and your inspiration as we reflect on your word. Amen. <clears throat> Giving it all up for Christ. You know, multitasking is a, a common mode of operation today. With easy access to information and a lot of work being done with computers, we can quickly and, and easily switch between tasks. This often leaves us working on several things at the same time, addressing issues on one project while waiting for results on other projects. But if you think about it really, multitasking is a misnomer. We can, cannot really focus on more than one thing at a time. We might quickly switch between projects or tasks, but if something requires deep concentration, we have to tune out all other distractions in order to focus on that one most important thing. Things that we do that are repetitive, like driving to work, may seem like it doesn't require our full attention, but when we let our guard down and try to multitask, we often become vulnerable to mishaps that can cause big problems. When I worked in Phoenix, uh, I had to commute regularly each day. It was about an hour each way. And I observed some pretty crazy multitasking during my commute. For example, while some of my fellow commuters, while they were traveling on the highway, would also be shaving, having breakfast, and reading their email all while driving right next to me. This kind of overconfidence in multitasking skills can lead to disastrous consequences if something unexpected comes up, like somebody suddenly stopping on the highway. If they aren't able to shift their focus from their phone to their car in time, there would be another one of those many fender benders that happen every week on the highways there. In today's passage, we see a sudden shift in focus by some early disciples of Jesus, particularly Peter, James, and John. They had recently returned from a night of fishing with a few others, and they were cleaning their nets when Jesus happened to come by. They apparently didn't know Jesus at this time personally, but they may have heard about him. I mean, Jesus had gained a reputation in the land at this time as a gifted teacher and a person who spoke with authority. So there's always a crowd around him. In order to get some distance from the crowd that was with him this time, Jesus hopped into Peter's boat and asked him to push it a little bit from the shore. Peter accommodated Jesus, giving him a bit of a reprieve from the pushing and shoving, yet it still allowed Jesus to speak to his followers. I can imagine Peter here acting out of a, a sense of compassion for this new teacher who seemed to create so much excitement around in those who had heard his message, that the crowd jostled and pushed each other so much that Jesus was probably constantly being bumped and pulled in every direction. Peter's kindness gave Jesus a break, and it allowed Peter to have an opportunity to hear what this new teacher had to say. After all, Jesus was using his boat, so he was stuck in the boat with Jesus. Scripture doesn't tell us what Jesus talked about in this particular lesson, but apparently struck a chord with Jesus, with Peter, I'm sorry. 
after Jesus spoke to the crowd, he told Peter to push the boat out a little further into deeper water and let down his nets for a catch. I can only imagine what had been going on in Peter's mind when he heard this. I mean, he had already been out the entire night trying to catch fish with nothing to show for his efforts. He had just returned to shore and resigned to the fact that the night's work was a waste of time. And he had already started the chore of cleaning his nets. Now this new teacher shows up, clearly not a fisherman, and tells him to go fishing again. Jesus's lesson must have been impressive because Peter decides to follow Jesus's direction, even though he just knew it would be a waste of time. Once they let down their nets, however, they started to fill with more fish than they could handle. They called for help from their partners and their partner's boat came out to them and they caught so much fish, fish that both boats started to sink. Suddenly, something happened to Peter. Something just clicked. Peter was a fisherman, meaning that his goal in life was to catch fish. A good day was defined by a big catch. And a bad day was, well, what they just went through the night before. You would think that Peter would be ecstatic with this huge catch that he just got with this new teacher's tip. But Peter was not excited. He was ashamed. It was as though the dollars, I mean fish, that he had been chasing were not as important to him as they had been just a few minutes earlier. All his adult life, he had been focused on getting as much as he could. But suddenly, in the midst of this windfall, he wasn't so interested in the dog, I mean fish. He realized that he was in the presence of someone who seemed to understand more about life, holiness, and God than he had ever encountered in his life, and it frightened him. This is what happened when sinfulness meets holiness. Peter may not have had a particular, been, or been a particularly egregious sinner, but when he compared himself to Jesus, he knew he was out of his league. Perhaps Peter felt threatened that Jesus would ridicule him or demean him once he knew the truth about him. I mean, what really goes on in his mind. Clearly, Jesus was very powerful. And if Jesus knew how much weaker, vulnerable, and unworthy Peter was compared to him, who knows what Jesus might do to him? At least this is what Peter was thinking in his mind, right? Peter didn't want to give any false impressions of piety or righteousness that might eventually culminate in disgrace and punishment when Jesus discovered Peter's true nature. But Jesus didn't respond the way Peter expected. Let's consider the other side of the situation when holiness meets sinfulness. Rather than shaming him or punishing him, Jesus encouraged Peter. He told Peter to not be afraid and said that Peter had new opportunities ahead. Life was about to change, and Peter's focus was going to shift from catching fish to catching people, from making a living to making a life. There was no demand for obeisance. There was simply a call to follow Jesus. Jesus gave Peter an invitation to learn more, have a greater impact on the world, and gain an understanding of Peter's unique purpose in life based on what Jesus knew Peter was capable of accomplishing.
It's also interesting to note that Peter was not in a synagogue or a temple when Christ called him. He was outside at work, going about his daily business, and he was unexpectedly meeting Jesus there out in the world where he was just spending his regular life. We can encounter the divine in sacred spaces, but we also encounter God in our day-to-day -day activities as well, doing those mundane tasks that each of us are required to do. Like Moses, who was tending his father-in-law's flock when God came to him in the burning bush and told him to lead the tribes of Israel out of Egypt. Or like Gideon, who was, who was beating out wheat in a wine press when he was called to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. Or Elisha, who was out plowing the fields when he was called to carry the mantle of Elijah. God comes to us in unexpected times to fill, fulfill unique roles in the unfolding drama of history. God meets us wherever we are and invites us to participate in building the heavenly kingdom wherever we go. Although our impact may seem negligible in the moment compared to Moses and Gideon and Elisha, every action that we take leads to a new set of circumstances that can ripple through communities further and further in time. And when we answer our call from God and shift our focus to Christ, we bend the arc of history towards God's vision of where humanity should live in a deep abiding awareness of the Holy Spirit and a closer relationship with God. Peter's call was to serve as one of the first disciples of Jesus and later become a leader to the apostles of the church, those who had taught about Jesus throughout the first century of Jesus' time. These are roles he never could have imagined for himself as he was kneeling in this boat, confessing to Jesus that he was a sinful man, unworthy to be in Jesus' presence. But Jesus was more interested in what was possible for Peter. Jesus knew that Peter could repent and turn away from those thoughts and activities that were sinful. He would be able to spread the gospel message that Jesus was about to teach him capturing the hearts and minds of countless individuals and leading them to an experience with the Holy Spirit. It's in interesting to note that the, the Greek word which we translate as catching when we talk about Peter catching people has a very particular connotation in that culture. Specifically, it's used to describe catching something or someone alive, not hunting as in dead. Jesus was critical of the scribes and Pharisees for crossing sea and land to make a single comfort in making them, quote, twice as much a child of hell as them. The vision that Jesus had for Peter was to lead people into a life of abundance where they would encounter Jesus as the risen Christ who would give them living water that would gush up to eternal life. The life of discipleship is not easy, but it's ultimately fulfilling where Jesus and Jesus knew that Peter was capable of that. In that moment in the boat, when, when Peter experienced all the uh, success that he had ever hoped for as a fisherman, he suddenly realized that something much bigger than anything he could imagine was about to happen. 
He didn't initially think he was worthy to be a part of it, but Jesus calmed his fears and personally invited him to be a part of that new movement. With this new opportunity available to him, he wasn't so interested now in the big catch that had just taken place. Scripture tells us that he and his partners brought their boats ashore, left everything, and followed Jesus. Once he became fully aware of Christ's holy presence, he shifted his focus and gave everything up for the call that Christ made to him. This is the same kind of invitation that we have today. God has a role in mind for each and every one of us and calls us to fulfill that role with total dedication. Accepting God's call involves a reversal of priorities and a reordering of commitments. But the rewards that we get from participating in God's plan are much more gratifying than anything we could create for ourselves. These callings come to us at the most unexpected times and take place in our lives in, in unexpected ways. And they are unmerited as much as they are unpredictable. Nevertheless, they are presented through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we must make a conscious choice of whether we will accept those callings or ignore them. If there are concerns about worthiness, know that Christ has already done the work of salvation, making salvation available to us. If we repent and change the course of our lives from wasting wasteful futility to abundant fulfillment, we can ask for forgiveness and receive the grace that's offered through the risen Christ. His act of crucifixion and resurrection was done so that we might become one with Christ, worthy of serving God in whatever manner that we are called to by God. So I ask you today to think about your focus in life. What are you working for? What is your purpose? If you sense a calling from the Holy Spirit to serve God in some unique way, follow the example of Peter, James, and John. Shift your focus and give everything up for Christ. Amen.